Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hi, welcome to the Blockchain Asia show tonight. Uh, I'm Michelle Wonderland, and I'm here with co-host Gustavo Liu. Hi. Hi. I feel like it's been forever since I've seen you. I know, it's been like two weeks. I and I think the last recording was Graham. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're like That's back right. again. Yeah. Right. So right. we're back. <laughs> we're back here in the studio. And I brought a friend. Yeah. Magda. Hello. Hi, Hi everyone. Magda. Hello, Gustavo. Hello, Michelle. Thank Hi. you very much for having me here. Thanks for being here. I actually met Magda. Um, well, I said I've, I've known about her um, months before we met because we work with I-71 and they essentially were working with the cybersecurity space and there was one female founder. And you know how I feel about female founders. Yeah. That is, you know, they are yeah. very rare in the blockchain and cybersecurity mm -hmm. space. So we try to do everything I can to empower them and, and give them all the resources that they need. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I have to say, I am a fan of yours because I think we've been connected on LinkedIn for a couple of years, maybe like three years. And so to me, it was you're like a legend, you know, because <laughs> I would see things that you've posted and I've been following along because even since I've been connected with you on LinkedIn, I've seen that you've changed, you know, you've evolved in different things. And um, that's really exciting. When I saw that you were going to be on the show, I was like, yeah, all right. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. I feel like humbled to be treated as a legend. <laughs> You're also <laughs> the first female um, um, speaker yeah, on the show. The first guest. Yeah, oh, the really? first yeah. guest. Yeah. Amazing. So that will open actually, you know, the opportunities so. for other women in the space in blockchain, right. blockchain I really founders, hope so. cybersecurity founders. It's yeah. always about having that particular presence as a woman in a in that area mm -hmm. that encourage a lot. So yeah, the, thank are you. Are you part of the woman in blockchain? Uh, no, not specifically few. women in blockchain uh, yeah. groups. Uh, I have my own woman in cybersecurity initiative. Oh, awesome. uh, it's called the Cyber Feminist Movement. Mm. That sounds so <laughs> awesome. <laughs> mm. It is. It really is. So it's about building really um, equal opportunities for women mm -hmm. and men uh, in the cybersecurity space in particular and giving them the also the possibilities to reach out to other role model, more experienced professionals and just to understand that they can do a lot of things in cybersecurity. If you need any speakers, let me know. I would love to talk on the panel because I think gone are the days where women have to tell men and women, uh, the public, the audience that, you know, we like women are, are good leaders and all of that. Men need to educate other men. They need to be part of the conversation. Tell yep. other men that you need to pay attention to that yep. by leaving that <coughs> woman out of your organization, uh, especially in leadership roles. You're missing out. You're yeah. losing. It's, Absolutely. Yeah. It's such a good and valid point. Mm. Uh, it's actually something that needs to come from both genders. You cannot have, for example, initiative to change the current uh, way of living or having a company, running a company, if you don't have the support from the men. So definitely. Like like I heard like a few months ago, there was a conference that was only for women. I'm not an advocate of that. I'm an advocate, oh, yeah. advocate of diversity mm -hmm. and mm. equal opportunity. Yeah. Give the right opportunity to the woman to prove herself, but judge her on the same basis that you judge a man. Mm -hmm. And Yes. And, yeah. and it's, it's, that is exactly the type of conversations that we have yeah. in a lot of our diversity talk. I mean, not just about gender, but we're talking about yeah. sexuality, yeah, we're talking so. about age mm -hmm. and all of that, right? But the main thing is that it's you can't have the same group of people talking 
and try to advocate for the same, you know, to, to be more empowered when what they are trying, the, the, the real audience are the people that are the ignorant ones, yeah. so the people don't, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's, so it's really exciting to have you here. I mean, I think it's, I mean, to have you, I've seen you've been so involved with so many different parts of spaces, you know, in, in Female Founders, you've been doing, uh, you know, you've been actively in the space. So to have you here on the Blockchain Asia show to talk mm. about you know, cybersecurity and blockchain and technology and how that we can, you know, use this, um, you know, the, the blockchain technology to help further along, you know, um, you know, cybersecurity and to keep things safe. So yeah, thank you very much. I'm yeah. very, again, I'm very, very happy to be here. So you brought a topic, uh, a, a topic to, 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 to chat about. Yeah. And it's very much in line with what you're building as a founder, right? It's essentially yeah. everything revolving around identity. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe a little bit of background. So uh, I have actually a co-founder mm -hmm. that helped me to build an idea. My co-founder is Mikko Laksonen. He is mm -hmm. from uh, Finland. And he is a very talented man in the payment industry why it's very important to mention the payment because when we address payment we address identity mm -hmm. you are not able to pro proceed with any payment if you don't know or you are not able to authenticate yourself so when we actually understood the different challenges we were like maturing an idea to solve a very big problem that has been there for years and years that, for example, banks are solving authentication, strong authentication. Mm -hmm. And we came up with the idea to actually address it, address identity in a different way mm. and use technologies that are innovative like blockchain or decentralized ledgers to solve that problem but give it a little bit more innovation and compliance with privacy laws and regula regulations. And this is the story of how actually Secutial, the identity wallet, uh, security is crucial. Mm, <laughs> so that yeah. helps to remember. Is that how you came up with a name? Exactly. Yeah. That's, you know, after a few drinks, then you think by yourself <laughs> around your dinner. How will I call my next company? How <laughs> security is crucial. <laughs> so uh, that's how Secure the Identity World was created and born. And uh, we are trying to uh, change the, the identity landscape completely. I'm not absolutely not afraid to say that, but I believe that uh, the future of identity will change completely and we want to make that change. Well, since the topics about identity, could you just give our audience a little bit of background? What are the issues around identity right now? Because obviously everybody's been hearing about GDPR, about, mm. you know, PDPA and all of that, what the different governments are doing with different types of systems to try to, I mean, not just, just, not just about like the leakage of your identity, but also how can somebody who has access to your identity um, manipulate and use that against you or against uh, any sort of um, motivation they might have? So I would say if we start the discussion from the beginning, because identity is what nowadays? Is a digital identity is represented by data, mm. which might be your credentials that you store somewhere online. But if we go back a little step before, 
What is happening nowadays is that we are migrating for a physical world where actually we had like long time ago castles and, yeah. and guards. Kings and queens <laughs> exactly. and medieval times. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Now we are migrating where? To a cyberspace, to a completely connected world where even actually the reality is a mixed reality between... Uh, in, augmented reality between virtual reality and between your reality. Mm -hmm. What that means is that all your data or your assets, and I'm actually using here very important concepts, are not anymore physical. You're not protecting your couch in your house anymore. You're protecting actually your confidential documents that you store somewhere online. Right. And I like to ask this question to all, almost all my customers or someone that I talk to. So where is your data? And the answer that I get is they look at me as like, what do you mean? It's in the cloud. I'm like, oh, really? So it starts to rain very soon and you <laughs> <laughs> it will, you know, leak. So, but that helps to understand one point that's very important. Mm. If you don't know where are your assets, you are unable to control them. And all about protection is to make sure that you can limit the access control to your assets. Mm. Identity is data as well nowadays and it's used to get access to all these assets and product online in particular for example your banking services mm -hmm. as an example which is very uh, commonly used and you can relate to as an end Financial, user yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, those institutions are very highly regulated as well and privacy is a very important point for them but again identity and how what are the challenges and that was your initial question First of all, people do not know how to link physical and digital identity. Yeah. I like to give this example. I can be Britney Spears online. Yeah. <laughs> and true. and yeah. sing. We can be anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. we can be anybody online. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So well, true. Actually, I we did one with Simon Kemp, um, a recording on, on the on the grind where you know we kind of just a couple of entrepreneurs kind of drink, and he was talking about how he he was having doing research collect data and he had to be a uh, Indian woman in India because Shadi had, you know, the dating side essentially was, he was trying to show how people were like <laughs> identifying yeah, yeah, men yeah. and everything. And then he found out that he was getting a lot of requests by like, I mean, very nice, you know, Indian men. <laughs> <laughs> But he, he was able, as a Scottish white guy, he yeah. was an uh, Indian 21-year-old exactly. girl. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a big main challenge. Mm. So even when we're talking about the traditional identity and access management solution, you still are not managing the real identity. You're managing a digital identity that can be yeah. anyone. Mm -hmm. So right. that's one of the challenges. Of course, the second challenge is actually related to privacy and compliance. You mentioned the GDPR mm. <laughs> that's actually a funny topic if I can say funny you know the 25th of May this year I have never in my life received so many spams Oh my, oh my god, my it was that yes. day where uh, you got e emails from things you had no idea that you signed up for. Yes, exactly. and it all just kept the whole point was so that we wouldn't be flooded with marketing mail. And now suddenly everybody's asking us to sign some form of GDPR knowledge. Right? And yeah. also people, like you mentioned, like you didn't sign up to or you didn't remember but, or <laughs> third parties. Like 
all over the places you got emails mm. asking you, please confirm that you want to receive our emails. I'm like, no, I don't want to confirm that I want to receive. And who are you in the first place? Right. I also found a lot of um, like emails came with like a, a bit of marketing and just so that they would be able to show this image of being very <laughs> secure and having the reputation. I'm like, I never heard of you. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, do you want to sign up to like take a cruise yeah. if you want to opt in? You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anything yeah. that incentivizes the user to sign up again right. for the marketing. Right. And companies that never even sent out an email for a very long time suddenly decided yeah. to send mm -hmm. out something. Yeah, yeah. So here comes the problem that actually some and a lot of companies or businesses got information or data related to the identity from third parties as well. They have never got any of the content. They didn't ask you, Michelle. They didn't ask you, Gustavo. Did you actually sign up? No, you probably didn't. Mm. But they either like bought the data or either got the data from third parties that are working with them uh, or just by, you know, some data leakage. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, businesses are not all of them ethical. Depends of the values of the business. The same comes mm. to the people. Really, I thought. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're not in utopia world. <laughs> well, even in in Asia, you know, I can think about you know with the email marketing being uh, so such a popular, you know, you can engage a lot of people or you can reach a lot of people that uh, you feel like you've curated a list and you've bought lists or you've kept lists on your computer or your hard drive or, or things like that. That's what I thought was really interesting too. So mm -hmm. you could have a list that maybe somebody sold, yeah. you know, to somebody. Which Absolutely. banks do all the time, by the way. That is why they get you to sign off a waiver so that when you actually open a bank account, they would be able to, and their justification is that I would be able to, you know, pass it to my credit card department, my loans department, which then it kind of is umbrella for releasing all of that information. So of course that as well, but it depends because sometimes the business uh, is so complicated, complex in itself. So in order to provide the service to the end user, it needs to be shared across different kind of parties. Yeah. Uh, but when you, for example, sign up with one company, company A, and then your data in, in Singapore, <laughs> then your data end up in, in the States with company A, B, C, D, E, yeah. right. then there is a problem. Yeah. You know? yeah. So uh, I inherited people are lazy like uh, it people are just they just want they want lazy but at the same time they want some form of control and that is where i think the whole issue of identity kind of gets middle in the gray I, area i would say the problem is convenience convenience mm. yes people trade <laughs> convenience for yep. security and privacy and mm -hmm. then when something happens they actually say oh my god what's happening how can i actually solve now the problem it's too late a lot of times so the second challenge coming back to the, the to your question is definitely yep. the privacy and how to make sure that you are compliant with privacy law as a business but the third which is also extremely important and my third challenge that i would like to address here is okay you have the credential of the people but how will you make sure that they are secure? It mm. costs a lot of money to maintain a database to make sure that you have three main pillars of cybersecurity to protect the, your assets, including personally identifiable information of the users, people, process, and technology. So you need to make sure you have the right technology in place, you have the right process in place, and you have the right people that actually are so good that they're following all the processes and policies in place. Is this 100% possible? Mm. Yeah, you're laughing. <laughs> I guess mm. the answer is no. Yeah. 
Well, you're a cybersecurity engineer. That is your <laughs> your space. You I'm a telco us. engineer. But you can tell us all of the uh, the bits of what's exposed and everything. Oh, of course. Yeah. Any technology is anyway vulnerable. But mm. again, it's coming back to control. If you don't have visibility, you don't have control, and therefore you cannot mitigate your risks. So the day the problem of identity is that nowadays it will the challenges will only be. Uh, increasing over the time more and more like in 2030 over 500 billion internet of things like all connected devices mm -hmm. so how do you get access to those products and uh, devices with your credentials yep mm. so you're giving away your identity where mm -hmm. is it yeah well people don't ask the right questions and people do this is the thing do people are do people actually know what they don't know Right? Yeah, they and don't. They don't. That's the exactly. Problem. And this is the part that they don't. They don't even ask. They just like, yeah. okay, well, it's gonna make my life easier, right? If a credit card company, if Master Mastercard, wants my information and is asking me to sign up to this website, I would just sign up and release that information. Right. And then there's a question, actually, with with your point, uh, we need to think about why do we have all the security and privacy optional? Yeah. Why the security and privacy are not by default enforced rather than the opposite? Right. Because if you don't have the options actually enabled, that means that you need to make sure that the user understand. But who reads terms and conditions of 27 pages, honestly? Right. There was an article I remember reading about two years ago how one company had put some you know, funny things in their TNCs because they wanted to prove that yeah. no one's reading it. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, admittedly, it's it's... You know, the half the things that I sign up for. Yeah, I'm not. Again, convenience. I shouldn't say that. I mean, I read everything. <laughs> everything. I know. All the fine prints. All yeah, the fine prints. Yeah, like you the flip, star. You flip <laughs> the page and you read like, yeah. I could fall asleep reading those things. And to be honest with you, like half the time when we pay, use credit card, back then my previous life as a banker, most of my clients had no idea what was what were the terms and conditions of, of a credit yeah. card, mm. right? And not until they actually been charged a certain type of fee that they think is ridiculous, then they start coming over and say yeah. like, and exactly. that's where the banks will no, go, you didn't read this? I mean, like <laughs> this one size font, you didn't read it? <laughs> yeah. I have to tell you, practi in practical applications, I think five years ago, I registered a domain name with GoDaddy and I'm still getting charged every <laughs> year to keep that. And I... And of course, because it's inconvenient for me to spend time and go and call them, I'm letting them charge me like $10 a year or something yeah. like that. But I mean, really? Yeah. And this <laughs> actually brings us back to the actual whole social networking space, which is mm. this digital um, social networking um, sort of area that started back, you know, in the early years of Facebook all the way to today, where we look at, you know, Instagram and Amazon and all of that, right? Where they do collect a lot of data from you, even the social um, networking cha uh, chat applications like WhatsApp and Messenger, they also collect a lot of data on you. Mm -hmm. And the article that Magda brought was saying that they are the bad guys. They are they are evil. And blockchain is, uh, this is how he, blockchain is, is going to save everybody. It's, uh, could you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, so... Um I don't want to end up with a lawsuit. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I will try so, to be... No, yeah. no, I'm joking. No, uh, think about it that way. Do you realize that in 2018, anything that you do requires you to pay a fee for? 
So why everyone thinks that when you're using Facebook or WhatsApp or any other application or web service, it's free? It just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It's a company that is generating revenue and it's valued for billions of dollars. Yeah. So that means that they're generating revenue with something. So with what? You are the product as mm-hmm. a user. And if you are the product, that means that you they are using some data and allowing them you are allowing them somehow to use that data. And of course, most of the time, the users do not even know. So I will not say that everything (laughs) is evil, but it depends as well what are the values and ethics of the company. You can use certain data to generate, for example, services after anonymizing the data. Mm -hmm. And that, for example, pharmaceutical companies and hospitals are using that in order to predict or understand the medical conditions of the the patients. Mm -hmm. That is something that in the US is under HIPAA Act, which requires really very strict security and privacy. That's one industry. However, when you're talking about social Media, there's absolutely no no restriction extra- in what kind of data. Yeah, exactly. exactly yeah. So how can you know that that data is anonymized properly? That no one has access to that data when it's not required, etc. Well, it is interesting because as a you know digital marketer and a content strategist, which is the, what I do, you know, I look at these uh, anytime that I want to do some advertising or you know using social media marketing. Relying on the Facebook stack, for example, there's a tremendous amount of data that the Facebook stack collects, you know, from, you know, and there's only so much as a user you can opt out of. And and as a user, you don't even really know. As a marketer, I know how much I can drill down deep and target and segment, but it's kind of interesting. I was... um, you know, and, and I won't say that that's necessarily evil. I think that it's very interesting to be able to get that much data off of, uh, you know, your users. Um, and it's supposed to be anonymous to a certain point. You know, it's like collected as an, as anonymously that they're not supposed to ta- tie it to certain, you know, individual, you know, with your personally identifiable information. Then you take that over and you look at uh, Chinese social media in China. And so you look at something like WeChat and WeChat Pay. And we to use WeChat Pay, you have to... Disclose everything. Disclose who you are. You have to put in your payment information to be able to even to accept, you know, red packets, which you get in, you know, some of these groups. And, you know, like I can't accept red packets because I haven't confirmed. You don't have a WeChat Yeah, I don't have WeChat Pay. Mm. And and I was in a... um, and about data and about, you know, finding and as much about, so third-party data sets. I was um, at a, uh, a presentation by ByteDance and they do Douyin and TikTok and the amount of third-party data that they collect on people and that they're able to resell it into, you know, the market. It's fascinating. So now I'm asking you a question. So would you like to have the choice? Why someone would actually collect information about you drinking coffee at eight in the morning uh, with sugar or without sugar? Mm. I mean, that's okay. That's maybe not something that is uh, really affecting your security. But what if someone collects all the information about your location? Where do you go? Where do Mm. you work? What time do you come home? It's like the it's the George Orwell um, book on um, the Big Brother one, the 1984 or something, and it talked about how Big Brother, right? They yeah. were looking at you and every movement that you had was the same. But it's it's it was described as a single institution. But then now you kind of if you mirror that against social media today, isn't that what kind of they are doing? Like they are kind of dictating what you should buy, you could buy, and of and it's coming into your feed. And uh, all of that. course, not only what you 
should buy, but also what you should see. Mm. I mean, if you look at the social media, the feeds are algorithm that actually the pe people decide. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I want to see what I want to see. I mm. want I can see only what they decide, what the social media platform decide. And the more it's driven by promoted ads as well, you don't see everything. It's really this clearly approach with a strategy, with uh, a business model behind. So you see things that are maybe not interesting. So then they can promote other ads to sell to you something. Right. But if they want to sell, they want to target the right audience. So they increase the ROI of the uh, marketers. Like you said, you want you can target your audience. But that means that the platform has information about the users. And when it comes to certain general topics, like we said, okay, you drink a coffee, it might be not uh, a problem around safety, but when the application collects everything that relates to the location or everything related to your uh, device, then the device is actually exposed. That means that someone might actually attack the device and if your device is under attack, that means that you lose control of your device. The moment that you lost control on the device, it's not yours anymore. Mm. So your laptop is not yours. So has someone will have control over your life. Yeah. So and how would blockchain um, come into play and how would that change the entire sort of um, landscape? So first of all, the only way that we can actually solve this problem of having giving data outside and trusting third parties, <laughs> social platforms or companies or one thing, why would you trust someone else to protect you rather than yourself? You're the only person that can protect your information. You, you protect yourself. It's like You're responsible. Nobody care about your money than you do. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That's exactly the same. So instead of money nowadays, you have data that represents asset right, exactly. and data is your digital identity or your identity that you can link with biometrics. So how blockchain solves that? By bringing something that is called decentralization. So the concept of having decentralized ledgers that you implement to um, reach that or give the control back to the user, it's something that is able to give back the control and protect the information because the user is the only person or individual that will have the information or their own data. Do you think the public is actually, is, is the time to give them power for this, um, to give them access? That is always the because I get it, right? There's a lot of companies now that are saying, Right. Um, let's give people the power again to make decisions so that they, they, they are able to decide on what information is being released. But are people ready to be given that, that type of decision? It's the same when you launch a new, for example, regulation law. You cannot enforce it unless you have 100% assurance that it's feasible. Hmm. So that means, let's say, I, I put a law today. I say every company needs to have a chief information security officer. There's no people to hire. Mm. So it's not feasible. It's unrealistic. So can you actually do the same and give the control to the people and tell, okay, it's your responsibility? Do they understand security and privacy? 
No, 70% of people do not even know what security. Mm. They don't even know what's cloud, as I mentioned at the beginning. So <laughs> cloud is somewhere. Like yeah. <laughs> if you watch some videos on YouTube, it's hilarious about the definition of cloud. But if you, if, you, if you made it in such a way that in your business case, let's say, for example, your data and you educated them and said your data actually is worth money because that is how other people have been making money. Now, if you can make money by release, like if you could make money, I think that understanding of how much, how valuable your the information that people have been using it for free, now you can start charging it. That for sure helps. But I think the most important is to have the privacy and security by design. It's not an mm. option. It's a must. Right. Then the problem comes with the use, usability. So it needs to be very simple because someone who is not technical or someone who never used certain application will not actually try to even understand or will not be able to understand very complicated way to configure something. So that's one. The second thing, of course, incentivation is a very important point. Mm. If, let's say, I collect information about how many coffees do you drink, I like that example, and then you are able to share the number with your coffee shop, and because you're sharing that information anonymously, not saying that it's Magda was drinking five coffees a day, <laughs> yeah. but just and that she's individual. she's always hyper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and the coffee shop will give you 10% discount. Yeah. That's awesome. Why not? But you have the control. You know that you are anonymizing the data and sharing it. You can also share your data if you want, but you need to have it visible and clear and simple. Mm. And security and privacy by default. You can't expect to educate the whole world. I mean... Like doing phishing simulation, there will be always someone clicking on the link. No matter how many times you tell them, don't click. You know, I wanted to ask, because we, we talked about this a little bit more, and I was reading about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we talked about GDPR and um, this article that I was reading um, from uh, 101 Blockchains. And they had put together an article saying, you know, the compatibility of GDPR and blockchain, and can they be compatible? Because they are two, they're, they're based on two different thought thought processes and one you know is decentralized and the other is opting in and out you know one is immutable one is you want to change your information so do you think that based in a privacy uh you know because they're both privacy they're both there to designed to protect privacy and anonymize anonymize that's the word uh anonymize uh that person or people but do you see them ever working together absolutely but uh, there is a first change that needs to be addressed first of all like you said blockchain is actually bringing a concept of immutability mm -hmm. gdpr asks you the right to be forgotten mm -hmm. so if i want to be forgotten how will i be forgotten on the blockchain that is immutable mm -hmm. and exactly. the so the concept do not match but not the application in companies, for example, bringing in and saying that, oh, they are secure using the blockchain. No, it's much more than that. Understand the concept, apply them properly. So GDPR requires you to give control to the users while the blockchain gives you immutability. That means that the blockchain as technology will allow you to prove any, uh, I would say, history, logs, etc., that allows not only immutability, but accountability. Mm -hmm. Again, if applied simply without having the right concept, will bring you to non-compliance with GDPR. Even hash as such, as you can trace it, is not GDPR compliant because I got some clients and projects where they came back to me and they told me, 
but rehashing the information, I mean, no, that's not enough because you cannot delete it. Mm -hmm. That's, again, immutability. So, so w but then what is data, right? Uh, can we define data? Because obviously the definition of what GDPR defines its data versus what the world sees and what versus what I as a consumer define as data, it would could be different. So personal data is data that allows to identify an individual within the GDPR. Sensitive personal data is equivalent to personally identifiable information, like sensitive information, like for example, your account number, your date of birth, uh, information that you really need to keep safe. Mm. GDPR is, the goal of GDPR is to straighten your personal rights towards this information. So whenever you want to change it, whenever you want to edit it, whenever you want to delete it or port it to another provider. So would it be a case where I would try to sue a company, for example, for infringing GDPR, but then my understanding of what they collected from me about data was not really, and then GDPR would say, well, no, that that is not really in the definition of, of data. So the, the, oh, the definition is clearly in the GDPR regulation. Yeah. But uh, it's very broad, you know, it, it's just that it I read is, that definition. But if actually, PII comes down to one thing. Are you able with that data to identify one person? Okay. If the answer is yes, that means that you are you need to protect that information. Right. Because if I can tell with, for example, just a random number, that that person is Gustavo, which just with the number probably won't be possible yeah. but with your phone number if it's registered under your name then yes then it's different yeah the reason i asked that is because i was listening to another podcast and there was you know another founder did talk about like data as a broad from a broad perspective it's data is data there is no argument there like as long as we put it on the digital world um but then i think gdpr like you said is very specific it's right? personal it's data identity. sensitive yeah. personal data it's mm -hmm. not about all the information right in the company yeah. but i give you another example that uh can identify one one individual and then it's really open for debate of how that data can be actually uh processed and protected when you go on your laptop and you and you just use your laptop imagine someone is storing the information about the device how often do you open google chrome uh, how often do you connect what is your search what's your ip etc etc all that actually might be unique to one person in the world mm -hmm. yeah. right so if that's unique that allows to identify you and not michelle Kind of like what Google and Facebook and Instagram is actually tr collecting data on you, like your frequency, um, what type of pages you're looking at and how, uh, like that. It, over a period of time, the machine is able to kind of encapsulate that and identify you as an individual who has that sort of pattern, mm. right? We well, even think about things like um, your wearables, your devices, you know. Oh, um, yeah. I was at a conference once and they were talking about, you know, that uh, your Fitbit knows, uh, actually it was an article that came out, your Fitbit knows when you're in the bedroom, you know, your Fitbit <laughs> knows like this. Of and, course, of and, course. Uh, <laughs> or that WeChat knows when you go to sleep, you know, it's uh, it's very interesting. SUTD has a um, entire cybersecurity uh, lab it's called mm. iTrust. Um, and they essentially are have an entire room that does wearable testing mm. for cybersecurity. And you'll be surprised. Oh my God. Like everything in that is wearable today 
it's essentially it's like you're naked in the public. Like you, if you have Alexa installed mm. in your in your house, yeah. right? <laughs> and you think it's you, if you for one second thought that it's only you interacting with Alexa, you completely wrong. Yeah. If that stuff is so, and you are the expert in cybersecurity. How easy is it to ask for a hacker to access somebody else's wearable uh, or somebody else's device that is IoT in their house? I cannot generalize, but I would say that currently with the with the landscape that we have and the maturity level of the companies, it's like, you know, ex- I wouldn't say extremely easy. It's even, you don't even need hacking uh, skills. Like, it's not hacking. It's just guessing passwords or like yeah. you it's have... It's like, what if I had a URL of somebody else's website? Like yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, and the admin's credential, admin, admin, or user and admin. <laughs> I'm like, seriously, you don't need any hacking skills. It's just clear guessing. But also, all those wearables and new devices that you have, they are built by a fo- by startups to reach a minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. MVP. Yep. To sell it as soon as possible. Make a bit of money. And with, a, with very little features. And then that's it. Sell, 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 make money. Yeah. And do you think that actually they hired the security person <laughs> at the beginning? <laughs> How many of them do that? Or privacy? They yeah. don't usually even understand what's privacy exactly, what is the compliance. So I'm seeing now a little bit more startups actually paying attention to that because especially when it comes to later stage, it's actually very hard to find out and you need to redo all the architecture and make sure that you do the right thing. So now, Are we looking at rebuilding the, archit- the, the infrastructure of the IoT devices or, are we, are we, or could there be a solution where we can overlay some form of blockchain technology or as a middle layer or as a layer of protection that would be able to sort of encapsulate the visibility of the device to the public? Um, that's as well can be probably an option. Uh, definitely can help into limiting access, but it's not enough because you always need to have that security by design because if not, you're having a secure, um, security by obscurity or you, you hide it, but you don't secure it, which means that you you know the real hackers will always find a way through. Uh, but the most important is not to understand that it's not rebuilding everything most of the time. Nowadays, yeah. what you have, especially connected devices, the hardware. Yeah. And then you have the software. So you need to make sure that in the first place, you make the right choices within the design. Why and how you're going to build your solution. And then you need to make sure where do you buy those chips for your device <laughs> that they're not coming and, you know, sending all your data to third parties without you knowing. Yeah. That's called due diligence. So you actually make a proper due diligence of choosing your solutions, your vendors. And then when it comes to software, make sure that you not only do the due diligence of the software that you're building on it and you have the right developers, but you have the right configuration. Developers that are building solutions nowadays and they have me, I'm meeting them really very often yeah. because of the amount that uh, of startups that I meet. They are not security people. They yeah. might be. I so know it, some. So that, that actually touches on the due diligence fronts, right? Yes. Do you think that a lot of people that are working on the blockchain really? I mean, like you said, they don't fully understand about due diligence, about security, mm. but yet they're building blockchain applications, yeah. building technology, and and I, I would say that as of today. There's a lot of reports saying that blockchain isn't secure, b- blockchain can be hacked. Actually, I think they, th- there's a lot of education needed as well. Blockchain has not been hacked. 
what has been hacked are wallets has yes. are mm-hmm. the the storing devices but the blockchain technology in itself yes. right now it it works right as a as a fundamental technology it's about where then the the underlying technology that is storing a lot of this crypto then then they have been hacked the nodes may be hacked yeah. the, the wallets uh, you have several attacks that are possible but definitely it's on the end points not on the concept of the technology itself is how it is applic- applicable literally mm-hmm. And the problem is that if you are talking about a public blockchain, anyone and everyone can use it. Mm-hmm. So someone will just download any wallet online and they say, oh, blockchain is not secure. Yeah, but what's the wallet that you downloaded? And why did you leave it on an Android that was already rooted and with thousands of applications and you don't have even a passcode to your mobile? Don't expect that it will be secure. <laughs> Could you explain a little bit about the difference between a public and a private? And if there, is there any other sort of for the benefits of our audience? Uh, yeah, definitely. So public blockchain will be actually open for any node to write on it. So let's say a node a user from his own house will be able to write on the blockchain. A private blockchain will be limited to the nodes and therefore not everyone will be able to do that and will not be visible to the whole public. But there are other as well criteria like permission-based and permissionless, which means that also that's related to who is allowed to write on the blockchain, who has the consensus, uh, I would say, responsibility or authority, etc. I, I know we are running out of time, uh, but this topic is so um, interesting, right? Yeah. And I think having Magda here, especially how often do we have somebody who talks about blockchain, who uh, is from the cybersecurity, who talks about security, because that is the fear. I think one of the biggest... Um, concerns about people investing in any sort of blockchain technology at all, or not just block, not just crypto, but also about the you know anything utilizing blockchain, is about the security factor. Yeah. And the fact that she comes from a sec- cybersecurity space, it really adds a lot of like more sort of educational value to that. But on top of that, you are a female founder, and you we do see a lot of players in the blockchain space in Asia who are women uh, founders. I would like to get it. I would like to shift gears a little bit and get to understand because um, Michelle and I started this show, and we talk a lot about you know blockchain as a landscape. I would like to understand a little bit how is it like being a woman in this space, and and what are the the challenges that you face. So being a woman in cybersecurity, I will start with that first, uh, is definitely something that represents a minority. Mm -hmm. So when I go to my meetings, most of the time I'm the only woman. Uh, now I'm starting to feel that there is a little bit more uh, diversity, which is great. That means that the message is actually working. Or maybe that my circle is also getting bigger <laughs> now with women. I don't know. But um, I would say... Mostly what I see are unconscious biases. So that means that I will, I had the situation where I go to a meeting and they will think that I'm the salesperson. And that happens to a lot of other women in the field. But that is not, I would say, that bad because it's unconscious bias. And very quickly the person, if that person is understanding and knows what he is talking about, he will 
clearly have a very good discussion. The problem is when the person knows that you are not the salesperson and continues to discredit whatever you are saying, and that happened as well. Mm. So it, it really depends who you ha are talking to. So mm. we cannot generalize, but it happens. It happens mainly for because of the percentage of women in cybersecurity and technology. Mm. 20% in technology, 11% in cybersecurity. Yeah. And what about in the blockchain space? Because now you're yeah. starting with that area. I think the blockchain uh, is actually, as it's new and innovative technology, there is less past in it. So that means less history. So we have more women without biases because, you know, it's all about as well history. Like if you look at prehistory pre and medieval times, yeah, yeah. Medieval times or even before, the man was fighting and getting the jobs and yeah. the woman was actually raising the kids, right? So in blockchain, there's no such history because the, the, the technology didn't exist 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So you can't say that, okay, 30 years ago we had experts in we blockchain. We had a chain of some form. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's actually a neutral, a green field, I would say. Yeah. So it's easier and women should actually go there. So so here brings me to my second question. Like, what are the opportunities that you see? And uh, especially, you know, I work a lot on like empowering women programmers to really step out of the lab and go out and talk about the work that you, the amazing work that yeah. you do. So, what is sort of the opportunities that you see in the blockchain space that's created for for female founders? That's an excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> I think first I want to address one point that is women do not talk enough about their own achievements. Oh, yeah. And, and actually doing a raise, I see in a lot of pitch that female founders do raise lesser, they're a lot yes. more modest than their their male counterparts. Yes, mm. they do. Even it's proven with VCs invest less in uh, female founders. So that is definitely something that is should not be there. Like we should have equal numbers or at least similar, not like 4% maybe and of women, female founders founded by VCs. But a woman do not uh, talk about their achievement enough at all. They usually tend to bring themselves down comparing to men. So a man will apply on a job if he fits four points and the woman will not apply until she fits the whole 10 points of yeah. the job description. And if they fit four points, they will claim they fit eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course. <laughs> I was but, one of those. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you learn? How do you challenge yourself? You challenge yourself only by doing things that you don't know and you learn on the ground. Mm. So women needs, need to really get that and yeah. just go for it. They will make it happen like all the other women. It doesn't matter that they have four or five thing, points uh, within their uh, career. They, they will learn. Mm. And so... The opportunities are especially in the blockchain. Like whatever they think that is a good idea for a business, it's a green field. Start something and make it happen. There's no barriers, there's no challenges. And I mean, there are, but whatever, they will be in anything that you do in the world. But here again, green field, do it. Think about the idea that you wanted to do since a very long time, but you didn't have the opportunity. You didn't have the funds. You can start that differently. Mm. So you don't have any more the, you know, the kind of uh, excuse, oh, I don't have money, I don't have funding. Like, start, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Start it first. Start it. Prove that it works. Prove everyone and the world that you can make something happen. 
That is inspirational. I think it's a really great point to end on. I think that it's been, I've, I've learned so much from you and I think it was, it was yeah. awesome having the energy and the conversation. There's so much more. I wish that we could go on for like a couple of hours. This could have been easily a two hour recording because <laughs> yeah. we, we didn't even finish talking about the identity. Like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can talk you're, about you're this coming like the back. <laughs> you're definitely coming back on the show. Yeah, there's so much that, you know, in this space and I think that you are, have so much knowledge and so much experience that it's excellent thank you so much for being here magda shelley having our uh cybersecurity expert here and i could list all the stuff that you good stuff that you're doing thank you so much for being here thank you uh, very much for inviting me it was a pleasure i love it <laughs> and we will see you yeah. all soon thank you very much for listening you've been listening to asia tech podcast Find out more at ATP.show.